What would you learn if you embedded yourself in one of the busiest heart surgical units for a year and got to observe everything? You are listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the ReachMD Book Club. I am your host, Dr. Mark Nolan Hill, professor of surgery at the Chicago Medical School, and with me today is journalist and historian Charles Morris. Charles Morris has written for the Atlantic Monthly, the New York Times, and the Wall Street Journal. He has written 10 books, the most recent of which is based on his personal experience embedding himself in the surgical unit at Columbia Presbyterian Hospital in New York. This book is called Surgeons, Life and Death in a Top Heart Center. Welcome, Charlie. Hi, Mark. Thanks for having me. Today we are discussing your recent book, Surgeons, Life and Death in a Top Heart Center. How did you get started on this project and why? Well, I actually started out to write a totally different book. I was struck by a piece of information I saw that in 2005 we actually spent more on hearts than we spent on cars. I thought that, I thought that signaled some kind of a major change, that we're actually spending more in our hearts than we do on everything to do with our passenger cars. So I wanted to look at the heart industry. And I met the guys up at Columbia. I spent several days with them, and I was really so impressed at what they did and how they interacted with each other that I thought rather than do a book at like a 5,000-foot altitude, I try to get down really close and see how it worked on a close day-to-day basis and let the book flow from that. Now, how did they receive you? I'm not sure why they ever let me do it. <laughs> but for some reason, well, the first deal was I could come in for a week and there were some things I could see and some things that I couldn't see. And then that got stretched out to a month. And then I think they sort of forgot that I was there. And I'm 68, and I've got gray hair. I'm a fairly non-threatening type. So I just sort of became part of the wallpaper. I also got along well with Craig Smith, who was the head. I got used to talking to him every day, and it just sort of became a very natural thing. Well, were your motivations more complex than just trying to be inquisitive as what goes on in a heart center? Actually, It occurred to me that I could write a better book if I dropped any preconceptions that I had and just let the book come. There are certain things I was interested in from the start. One was cost. One was quality control. I'd done work in the semiconductor industry years back, and I was very interested and how you manage to tight quality type things. So they were things that I wanted to learn, but I really tried my best to drop any preconceptions that I had. Now, who were you writing this book for? Uh, I always start writing books for me. What do you mean by that, sir? I try to write things that I would like to learn, and they often turn into books that obviously other people would like to learn too. So what I tried to do was look through who were the patients, what did they do, how did the surgeries go, how did they work, what did the doctors do when things went wrong, 
How did they deal with that? Were there sad cases? Were there happy cases? How did, how did the patients feel? Did the physicians open up to you? Yeah. Once I was there, they just talked in a very natural way. Now, how do you think that your perspective was different being a non-physician as opposed to, let's say, being a physician observing a surgeon? Well, one thing I had in the back of my mind all the time is what made this different from, say, GE making power engines or something like that. And I'll tell you what really was different is when GE starts out to design some sort of a system, their goal is to make every step exactly the same, every stage, every single engine or chip that they make. So the first lesson was that obviously doesn't work here because every patient, there are some sort of better ways to do certain kinds of heart surgery, but every patient's different. Some have arteries that are like paper thin. There are things you can do, things you have to be very, very careful of. Some you can go straight in, some you can't. So the first thing was that this was very much a true craft. And that caused me to step back and think about it in in a different way than the GE or the Intel approach really wouldn't work here. If you have just joined us, you are listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157. I am your host, Dr. Mark Nolan-Hill, professor of surgery at the Chicago Medical School, and with me today is journalist and historian Charles Morris. We are discussing his most recent book, Surgeons, Life and Death in a Top Heart Center. Charlie, what surprised you most? What surprised me most was how very old most of the patients were. I mean, I would have thought that, I think that the average patient was probably at least 79 to maybe 84. And I saw one patient, I think, was 90. I think in 1965, they wouldn't even do heart surgery for anybody over 60. So one thing was very, very striking. Second thing was how enormously intricate and time-consuming each procedure was. There were thousands and thousands of different steps. And again, everybody doing it differently at some point. And they talk about that. that sorry, that was one very interesting thing, that they talked about all the time, sort of each person's different operating style, if you will. And that's a place where they try not to teach a single surgical style because they think that that doesn't lead to the best surgery all the time, that each man has to get his own style. Now, what was the total length of time that you spent with these surgeons? I was there three or four days a week, most of the day for the first six months I worked on the book. And then the second six months, I was there two or three days a week, just pretty much all day, because I was spending more time actually trying to write the book then. And I'd usually get there at six. I rarely stayed past nine, because at that point, I was just, I was just white. Did your perceptions change from the early part of this process to the end towards that year that you finished with them? Let me see. The main thing which I learned I was most impressed with, and this was something that I learned in a sort of cumulative way, 
should say one of the very first meetings I went to was one of the reasons why I thought I wanted to get down in a more detailed way. They were talking about something that had nothing to do with operating on real patients. They were talking about something to do with money or operating room schedules. But there was a violent difference among several of them, and they said very harsh things to each other. But they never raised their voices. Nobody pounded the table. It was taken as if it were a normal conversation. And I gradually learned, in heart surgery, patients die. I mean, even no matter how good a surgeon you are, 1% or 2% of your patients will die. They really work on trying to look at what went wrong or what they did wrong and saying in very direct, hard ways that you may have done this wrong. And I found that to be... I mean, I've worked many places, and I've never seen that kind of a culture anyplace else. Well, it's interesting. You're bringing up a very important point in medicine and particularly in surgery. Did you also attend the morbidity and mortality meetings? And sometimes those can be kind of tough. What was your feeling about that? That's where it really came came home, you know, strongest. I was very impressed with the ethic of those, and no one ever got off the hook. I'll give you a case. It was a man used the wrong clamp and caused a serious injury, and he said, the nurse gave me this clamp. And then they just ganged up on him. No, did you look at the clamp? And actually, he said it twice, and the nurse handed him. And he said, no, I did not look at the clamp. And they stopped, and it was, in effect, it was, yes, this was my fault. He had to just say it. And and I, I thought that was quite striking. And again, I, there was no hard feelings. There was no put down. This was a fine surgeon with a great record. But he had to say, I did not look at the clamp. Now, you bring up a very important point, which I wonder how you view. These M&M conferences, as they're called, clearly are not supposed to be pejorative, but are supposed to be educational. Do you think, as an observer, as a non-physician, that you walked away from those meetings, that they were educational as opposed to just trying to be tough on someone? Yeah, I do think that they worked because they were very... Most of the time, they were very research-oriented. What do we not know about this case? Why could this possibly have happened? And I should say, too, because they have a large pediatric practice. And you, for young kids and for the very old, which made up a very large percent of the people whom they worked with, it was very hard to really know what had gone wrong because so many different things could have gone wrong. So I would say that probably half the time it was pretty clear that this was a very old person and this whole Venus system had simply collapsed and nothing. They'd done everything that they usually do. Many of the rest were in this research kind of mode. What could possibly have gone wrong here? Let's let's try to dig back through the records, see if we can find anything like this. And a small percent were the kind of thing which I just mentioned, making sure that if you did something wrong, that it was really clear and you really focused on it so you would never do it again. Now, clearly, patients never hear these type of conversations. You sitting there, were you shocked by some of these conversations? No, because I'd seen the surgeries. I mean, these were seven-hour-long things with thousands and thousands of steps. The notion that you're going to do something wrong 
of course you're going to do something wrong. And that's why I think, going back to that first meeting I saw, that's why they actually cultivated being able to say very hard things but without taking offense because things are going to go wrong no matter how good you are. Most of the time you can work your way through, but every so often it ends up with the patient being seriously injured or actually die. I want to thank Charles Morris, who has been our guest. We have been discussing his recent book, Surgeons, Life and Death in a Top Heart Center. I'm Dr. Mark Nolan-Hill, and you have been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Be sure to check out our website at www.reachmd.com, which now features on-demand podcasts of our entire library. For comments and questions, please send your email to xm at reachmd.com. And thank you for listening.